Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer uh, here uh, as uh, usual, and uh, I'm very pleased to be joined by two colleagues uh, here today. One is uh, Chris Ryan, uh, who uh, has a storied history in filmmaking and in, in uh, instructional design and product development, uh, has taught uh, many, many students, helped them all realize their uh, professional uh, aspirations, uh, whether it's at Manhattan Prep or Kaplan Test Prep, uh, and uh, been wanting to get Chris on the show for a long time. So Chris, uh, thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Those were very kind words. Well, and I, hopefully they were all accurate. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, my other colleague uh, is uh, Dr. Jeff. Oh, it's so fancy. Kochi. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Jeff. Uh, Jeff's been... Uh, uh, working in a number of different capacities, uh, mainly focused on uh, pre-health education, aspiring doctors, uh, helping them understand how they may uh, achieve uh, their ambitions in life. Uh, and then also, I think of late, you've been more uh, focused on uh, helping grow and develop uh, Kaplan's institutional partnerships and relationships there. So Jeff, also someone who I've talked to many times about uh, trying to get on the podcast. So welcome, Jeff. Thanks so well. much. Thanks so much, Mike. It's so great to be here. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, with, uh, with the collective brain space uh, in this uh, podcasting booth right now, we could toast some bread. Uh, so, uh, a small Amelba toast. Yeah, so, uh, lightly, lightly. So, uh, so uh, the three of us wanted to get together uh, today to talk specifically about growth mindset, which is something I think a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, I think we'll try to reacquaint them with that idea. Uh, and then also seeing where and how we might connect growth mindset to uh, some concepts around uh, the imposter syndrome, uh, stereotype bias, and uh, and then also mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So uh, good news for our listeners, they're all uh, very uh, intricately related to one another. And we have two experts uh, to join us uh, to, to sort of explore this conversation. I thought we're gonna start maybe with you, Chris, uh, to, I know you've been doing a lot of uh, growth mindset training. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I warned both of you, we were gonna talk about Carol Dweck and say that you better Dweck yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> So if you don't know about growth mindset, you better ask somebody. <laughs> yeah. And the person I'm going to ask about it right now, Chris, is you. So what is growth mindset? And can you give our listeners a quick summary of what it is? Uh, and then I think we can start maybe expanding that into um, how that ties to self-limiting beliefs, how that ties to challenging sure. yourself and, and sort of uh, maybe uh, disrupting some of the stereotypes that that, that may exist out in the mm -hmm, world. Mm -hmm. But can you, uh, can you just give us a, a high level view of what growth mindset is? Yeah, and I'm having a meta moment here of imposter syndrome, whether that's an ER <laughs> or an OR. Oh, yes. Um, because I do not have a PhD in psychology. I did not, I am not Carol Dweck, right. uh, like it or not. Yes. Uh, so as a result, I, uh, but I, but I play one on TV. Sure. I play Carol Or on a podcast. Or on a podcast. Yeah. So, um, the way I come to growth mindset is through what it's kind of addressing, mm -hmm. what the, the, the problem it's addressing. And the problem that it addresses is the rock slides in our heads of little thoughts when we encounter some, some difficulty, some challenge that cascade and we're left with a giant boulder at the bottom that says, see, you're no good at this mm -hmm. and you should get out of this altogether, mm -hmm. right? 
uh, just you are not good at X. Right. And that's your fixed mindset, right? <clears throat> there are other variations. The other big variation of fixed mindset is, yeah, people think you're good at X and maybe you've shown yourself to be kind of good at X so far, but now you're kind of working at it and it's harder and harder. And that means you're not really good at X. Either way, you're not really anointed. Either yep. you, you, you're bad or people think you're good, but you're really bad. Right. So, uh, and you're born that way. You know, maybe I was born with it. So, or without it. So growth mindset is a way of countering that and kind of coming out of your ego shell that's full of shame about the fact that you think you're not good at this thing. And growth mindset, if I were going to encapsulate it in just a few words would be, I can get better at this. Mm -hmm. I can get better at basketball. I still have sort of fixed mindset about that. I really am terrible at it yeah. um, <laughs> and have been all my life, but I believe yeah, I believe that I don't have to actually stay that way. If I chose to, I could get better at basketball. Yep. Um, now that's not just that. Here's, you know, growth mindset is is a buzzword in a way all over the place. My five year old, I don't know if I told you this, Mike. My five year old now in kindergarten just got his first progress report, and growth mindset was in it. Wow that they talk about growth mindset, just like sort of listing, these are things we, you know, like we cover and da, sure. da, 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 da. So it is, if it's, you know, reached the kindergartners, then it's kind of everywhere. Right. Um, it's very easy to conflate growth mindset with just try harder. Right. Just work in it. it. It's not that. It's just a mindset. It's just an attitude that you can get better at it and you need all the things that Carol Dweck herself, mm -hmm. bless her name, um, says you need, you need passion. Mm -hmm. You got to care about the thing you need to stick it out. You need persistence and grit and all that. And you need actual guidance to get better at basketball. I can't right. teach myself. I could go somewhere to learn it, but, um, underneath all that, if I, if I've got the passion and the persistence and the, the guidance, but I don't have growth mindset, if I really believe, Oh, all this is just, um, going to either prove I've got it or I don't. And actually, I don't think I have it. Right. Then it's just going to all fall apart. Right, right, right. So, uh, and there's plenty of uh, examples of growth mindset that we run into at Kaplan where folks come to us to help uh, achieve mm -hmm. their own personal ambitions to sort of get past some of these milestones that are tied to how they perform on these tests. Frequently, we need to get them past their own self-limiting beliefs right to believe that with focused effort and with some help, they can achieve more. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's why I think there is a real aspirational element to growth mindset, something that I think resonates to all of us at Kaplan. Uh, the learning science is backing it up, although there's some interesting stuff uh, that I have uh, seen about growth mindset around um, traditionally underserved populations, which, uh, you know, frequently the students who aren't told that they're smart mm -hmm. need to hear it uh even though it runs counter to mm -hmm. the the prevailing wisdom around growth growth mindset which which argues don't tell your kid they're smart tell yeah. them that they should work they've worked hard and they should continue to work hard because that's really how they will uh expand mm -hmm. beyond their fixed mindset right now into the next uh level of their uh their professional growth uh, Jeff, I wanted to kind of pivot a little mm -hmm. more to you because this is more um, in addition to uh, focusing on our institutional programs and, and some of these other things. 
you know, helping our, our aspiring doctors achieve their success. Um, there are aspects of growth mindset that are tied to uh, diversity mm-hmm. and, uh, and equity. And I know that's something you're very passionate about too. So I'd love yeah, to bring very, you in to, to get your perspective yeah, on that. Yeah, uh, very much so. And um, uh, you know, one thing I wanna comment on first is, you know, Chris uses, uh, uses the word belief that you know, growth mindset is a belief about a capacity to improve over time. And that's absolutely true. Uh, a lot of people misconstrue growth mindset to be um, almost like a, uh, you know, almost like a, 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 such a, what's the word I'm looking for? A um, platitude? Platitude is a good word. I was That's just guessing. I was just no, no, trying. No, no, that is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, almost magical thinking mm-hmm. uh, taken to the extreme. Like, yep. oh, if I just believe, you know, then I'll be able to achieve anything, click anything, your, click your click heels. Your heels and, yep. But in fact, it's, it's not just, uh, it is a belief. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an attitude. It's a behavioral, um, uh, it's a behavioral approach to learning that reflects uh, a psychological and emotional approach to learning mm-hmm. that focuses uh, as much, if not more on the process uh, as on the outcomes. Mm-hmm. And um, so this idea that if a student just tries harder, that they'll be able to achieve greater outcomes, that's not growth mindset. Mm-hmm. That's a gross simplification of uh, and misrepresentation of growth mindset. Um, and you know, instead, we have to talk with students about the lived experience of learning mm-hmm. um, and what are the emotional and psychological aspects of learning that happen in real time as, as students struggle right. with content that is difficult mm-hmm. or, or with skill sets that they haven't mastered yet. Uh, and they're sitting with that discomfort. Um, you know, what are the ways in which uh, learners can manage their emotions, manage their psychological responses to challenges uh, that then translate to certain behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's that combination of a belief uh, in the efficacy of effort, of trying things again, of seeing failure as a learning opportunity rather than as something to be ashamed of Mm -hmm. uh, and to hide away or to turn away from. And um, the connection between uh, critical analysis of what is necessary for someone to achieve the learning goals that they've set for themselves and the learning context in which they are operating in that moment or in that real time. Yep. Um, I, I joke that I have a shrine to Carol Dweck in my apartment <laughs> because I, you know, I, I think that this is so powerful and, and mm-hmm. fundamentally it's, it's powerful because it's simple. It's mm-hmm. actually, it's actually quite simple uh, in, um, in how this can translate in real life for students. Um, what I think is particularly powerful is the notion of, um, uh, of, not having to achieve perfection from the start or not even having to achieve perfection at all. I mean, right. nobody can achieve perfection. Right. Uh, so instead, it's reframing what learning is about. It's about growth. It's about development. It's about being able to be better today than you were yesterday at yep. something yep. or having more knowledge or even better than that, more wisdom mm-hmm. uh, today than I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it's process-oriented. It's, yeah. it's um, 
it, it's and it's never ending. Yep. because it is a process. Yeah, I liked where you uh, you you mentioned uh, the word uh, getting comfortable with your discomfort. Mm -hmm. um, you know that to me seems like like a big idea. It reminds me of the learning science concept of desirable difficulty, mm -hmm. where like you want to give the learner enough of a challenge so that she's struggling, mm -hmm. but not so much of a challenge that she throws up her hands and gets frustrated. Right, right. And, and then also understand that if you're uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you're actually learning. Mm -hmm. So like if, if you're instead gravitating towards things that are easy, that sort of reinforce your confidence, there's an element to that that's beneficial, particularly as a test prep company, we understand like you need to be able to handle the things that you can handle, handle them fast but you're not really growing as an individual unless you're putting yourself into challenging places where you actually are a little uncomfortable mm -hmm. in who you are becoming. Right. And to me that ties and maybe back mm -hmm. to you, Chris, a little, although I definitely want to get back to you on this, Jeff too, is the, um, the notion of mindfulness mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, the imposter syndrome. Yeah. So like there is that in some ways that discomfort manifests itself in that internal voice mm -hmm. that is talking to you about your own limitations. Right. Right. And then the sort of eureka moment, why Jeff may have a shrine to, we all may have small shrines <laughs> to, to Carol Dweck in our homes. I'm gonna make mine bigger. Yeah, please, why <laughs> it's not? It's gonna grow. Exactly, but, uh, exactly. but um, the reason why it's, it's such a simple idea, but it's so important is that unless we get comfortable with that discomfort and we're able mm -hmm. to quiet that voice that is saying you're an imposter, we're never gonna right. grow. Right, you go back to the idea of the rock slide, the little pebble at the top, I'm struggling with this chemistry problem mm -hmm. on an MCAT practice test or what have you. Um, that may be true. And in fact, probably is a real stimulus in and of itself. It's really the implications of that, mm -hmm. getting to larger and larger boulders in a flash yep. that causes the the problems as much as anything else. And so where mindfulness comes in is kind of noticing mm -hmm. those thoughts um, from the, from the get-go if possible um, to say, oh, I'm having a thought that this is a difficult problem. Oh, I'm having another thought that I'm thinking this means I am not cut out for med school mm -hmm. or I'm never going to be a doctor or I'm never going to be happy in my life. You know, these, if, when you say them out loud, you they sort of sound ridiculous. Yep. And yet, when we talk about this with students, they nod their heads mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. almost with shame and they shouldn't feel that shame because we all do this, yes. right? Mm -hmm. so, so the mindfulness where that plays in it, it and, and it shouldn't just be an instrumental thing that one does. It, it should be something that, you know, and I'm saying this as a talk the talker on mindfulness, but ideally it's something that, you know, we, we start to notice our present experience more and more mm -hmm. um, and can anchor ourselves in that. I, I try to use my breath yep. from time to time, just, you know, the in, hold, out mm -hmm. kind of thing. And that helps me interrupt the cascade because I, or it, hap it happens, but I'm sort of distant from it. Mm -hmm. And as a result, then I can recognize that big boulder at the bottom that's hey, you don't belong here, which is kind of written on the side of the imposter syndrome mm -hmm. boulder, mm -hmm. yes. is, oh, I am not meant to be here. This particular little pebble at the top of the struggle with the, the chemistry problem 
is an indicator of that. Right. Well, that causal link is the thing to kind of notice. And without noticing it, you never challenge it. Right. But by noticing right. it, you can start to surface it and challenge it. And maybe to get back to a point you made earlier around, you know, for underrepresented populations going into health professions, mm -hmm. um, it is worth putting in some inoculation like you are smart. You yes. Are, you do have the inherent capability to do this is partly to counter years and years of societal cascades and yes. rock slides mm -hmm. in the mind that have said, no, you're not supposed to be here. Uh, a black woman is not supposed to be a doctor, right. et cetera. Mm -hmm. Those kinds mm -hmm. of, of conclusions that come at the bottom of lots and lots of rock slides. Yeah. Um, it, it, it may require more countering. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think there's two elements to what, what you were talking about there, too, where there's the internal dialogue that is growth mindset, which is, who am I? What can I be? And then there's the external pressures mm -hmm. based mm -hmm. on your identity, mm -hmm. where society writ large, and whatever that might mean, right. is saying someone who looks like you, someone who identifies the way that you identify, mm -hmm. is is not really cut out for this type of job. And then that is a that can feed into the cascade you're talking right. about where then you already, we all have self-limiting beliefs, mm -hmm. even the most successful, ambitious people out there have moments of doubt. Mm -hmm. That's actually healthy, but I'd love to get your perspective on this, Jeff, too, because I know it's something um, we've talked about a bunch mm -hmm. and I know it's something you're passionate about too, mm -hmm. like the connection between growth mindset and um, sort of societal, um, impact that maybe uh, could send your self-limiting beliefs on a sort of downward spiral right, the, the, right. Way, the way Chris has described Well, it. and the, the metaphor of the boulder cascade is a really beautiful one because it also leads then to a kind of understanding that uh, fixed mindset is a pattern of thinking about yourself mm -hmm. as a learner mm -hmm. and the grooves that perhaps you continuously find yourself uh, thinking through those patterns of thoughts, those patterns of emotional reactions, mm -hmm. those are those are grooved into our brain over time, both from internal and external forces. Yep. Um, and what growth mindset does is, in a way, it serves as a kind of antidote to those uh, to those deeply set grooves that um, op you know that sort of channel the kind of thinking about yourself as a as a learner mm -hmm. um, and almost sort of like it flattens those grooves out so that there's more of an opportunity to think of yourself differently mm -hmm. uh, as a learner or in relation to yourself as a learner. Um, and in particular for students who experience marginalization or minoritization in educational spaces where educational spaces have not necessarily been safe, supportive, mm -hmm. or affirming spaces, those grooves can be very deep in yep. the minds of someone who has experienced marginalization in educational spaces and yeah. who has been told directly or indirectly that this isn't the space for you or you haven't earned the intellectual right to be here. Right. I mean, I think so frequently about the, um, uh, you know, about what in particular black and brown students have shared with me in conversation about their aspirations in pursuing the health professions uh, the negative messages that they receive, uh, that they're not smart enough, they're not intelligent enough to be here, that there's an invalidation of the intelligence 
peck, there's an invalidation of their humanity. Let's right. start there. Right. Um, and, you know, and the negative impact over time of hearing those messages, internalizing them, it can create a condition where as a learner, uh, a student, you know, it simply does not have the belief in themselves as someone capable of of learning this tough material or yep. achieving um, the skills necessary for moving on into graduate medical education right. or undergraduate medical education. Um, so growth mindset provides at least a framework for loosening those those mm-hmm. grooves and releasing people from this, these patterns of thinking that get them caught in this negative feedback loop of yep. I'm struggling, therefore I'm not capable of doing this, therefore I'm not, um, I, I, I have no right to be here. Right. And uh, one and way we've, we've talked about, um, uh, Jeff, the, the way to, the one way to, to empower growth mindset further is to realize you're not alone mm-hmm. in feeling that struggle, in feeling that uh, I mean, stereotype threat is a thing like, oh, if you are reminded of your status as underrepresented, then it's you could actually perform worse, mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Because that just those societal grooves are reactivated, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, um, so this idea of you are not alone in feeling these threats, you are not alone in having these struggles, and sort of coming outside of that. Um, becomes itself empowering and sort of flattening out because mm-hmm. then you can come outside of your own cave where you've been sure. locked in with your ego right. and shame and say, oh, wait a second, there are a bunch of other caves on this mountain. Hey, everybody, let's come on out mm-hmm. and we can all change our, we can all come, we can all move forward. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we can share with each other how we are approaching this material. It doesn't have to be um, the sort of passive, I'm just, the, the recipient of learning right. and under control of someone else, but rather I can create the learning environment and right. I can help recreate it mm-hmm. uh, together with others. Right. Um, that particularly plays out in the caring profession. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, also the thing that I love about growth mindset is that it it's actually based in neurobiology. Right. Like it's it's not magical thinking, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, it's not magical thinking. It's not wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. It actually is rooted in in where we in, in what we understand uh, at the present moment to be the plasticity of the brain and sure. how the brain can change and neural neural connections are created with new experiences. Yep. So this notion of change through experience, uh, which then impacts uh, even our intelligence and our skill sets, um, it's rooted in something real. It's rooted in something material. It's right. rooted in, in the actual brain, ana- you know, anatomy and physiology. Sure. And when students begin to understand a little bit about that, then, then they can begin to move into more of a concrete understanding of, oh, there's value in trying things. And in fact, there's value in trying things together Mm -hmm. uh, because communally we can achieve more than if we try each of this uh, ourselves and struggle. Let's, let's pool our resources. Let's pool our collective um, uh, mind 
power right. and solve problems together, which right. then begins to transform the culture of learning from competition to collaboration, right. yes. which then connects to uh, the transformation of the work environment in the healthcare setting, mm -hmm. uh, where, uh, where there's been a dramatic shift over the years and a meaningful one towards interdisciplinary care-based, yes. uh, a team-based care delivery. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and that reminds, I was, I wanted to move in this direction too, just more around, uh, you know, we've talked about what it feels like as a learner, but also how as an educator, because mm -hmm. many of our listeners are educators mm -hmm. or trying to facilitate that, that environment. Uh, you know, I was talking recently about uh, the impeachment inquiry and how you what's know, a, what's are, you really, yes. are you really going to go there? I'm, I'm going to go far <laughs> enough. I'll, 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 I'll dance. I, oh, it's, it's, it's go dance time. On the edge dance of... on the edge. But like just the amount of noise and um, sort of fight or flight mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is inspired by mm -hmm. contemporary culture. Mm -hmm. Right. Where why I, I why Carol Dweck resonates with me and other uh, social emotional uh, I like to say, I get social emotional, baby. Hey, hey. Yeah, I try, I'll, to, I'll chime in. I try to bring in as much Whitney as I can on this show. But, um, oh, that was Whitney. <laughs> well, that was, that was <laughs> okay. <laughs> growth mindset. I'll keep working on it. I have a fixed mindset. Yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all good. But, uh, but the reason why I think some of that is so important is that if you're teaching from a purely cognitive lens, mm -hmm. you're frequently going to miss the learner. Mm hmm. And if you're not cultivating uh, an environment that is safe mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. focused on like positive outcomes for everyone who's there, mm -hmm. you're not really going to set up your learners for success. Right. So I know both of you have spent, as all three of us have spent plenty of time in the in a teaching capacity. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to get uh, each of your perspectives on. Um, sort of the fact that you're helping the whole student, mm -hmm. you're helping mm -hmm. the whole like sort of community of learning mm -hmm. to kind of come together and feel safe because there is neurobiology associated with that too. Right. right. I, Chris and I were talking about this earlier and we referenced the lizard brain yes. and, and how, yes. you know, when you're confronted with a, a challenge or something that's unknown mm -hmm. uh, or what you perceive to be an existential threat, mm -hmm. the lizard brain activates, yes. you know, and I'm not a neurobiologist, so I'm using this kind of metaphor. That's your imposter syndrome. Just act like an expert. But, um, but you know, it, that lizard brain activation, oh, I have to protect myself. I have to do everything possible to survive this yes. uh, and to be, and to come out alive on the other side. Mm -hmm. And with students, there's, you know, I mean, well, it, with any learning, the, the primary experience is discomfort. Yes. I mean, and let's be honest. I mean, we, we live our lives through the lens of emotions. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's always mm -hmm. sort of front and center. Yep. So, you know, to, to engage with learners purely through a cognitive, um, lens uh or treating someone just as a uh, as a brain on a stick yes you know which like, is which is uh quite tasty yes <laughs> right um, we'll save that for the street food episode right. <laughs> you know that's you're 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 not engaging the whole person mm -hmm. and um for students sitting in the classroom we've all sat in the classroom as students the emotions can be either the conduit to understanding or they can mm -hmm. be a tremendous barrier to the learning and understanding yeah. and participating in that process. So, you know, when, when I have taught, uh, you know, pre-med students preparing, preparing for the MCAT or pre-dental students preparing for the DAT, 
the um the thing i stress to them is first of all this is not going to kill you yes so let's talk about what the actual let's try to level set the risk here mm -hmm. like what is the actual risk yeah. and you know i mean there are there are things to talk about that it, it, there's some risk involved yeah. in sure. in any of this but let's level set it so that it isn't the existential risk that you may feel that it is coming into the right. test prep classroom. Right. Let's get a handle on what this test actually is. What does it mean? And actually that's the most important thing. What does it mean to you? Right. What, why are you doing this? What is the value of this test to you relative to your larger goals? Because of course, nobody is taking a standardized test for the sake of the standardized test. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so, you know, engaging a student in the emotions that they have and validating the emotions, but then challenging the student as an adult learner to, mm -hmm. to interrogate themselves. Well, what is this emotion telling me? Right, um, right. What is it? What is it? Uh, what is it tempting me to do? Is it tempting me to pull the covers over my head and, and, and just give up? Mm -hmm. Or is it uh, an emotion that maybe is uncomfortable for me, but I can harness it? Yes. Uh, I can redirect it yes and then i can use the energy there to to continue in the behaviors that i know are going to move me forward yeah. right and we have to keep talking about this because you know i've seen instructional design checklists that have that first talk about any emotional or motivational element like in 12 sub point C, you know, <laughs> and everything up to that is all cognitive. Mm -hmm. right? Yes. And sure, you need the cognitive level to be working. Sure. But um, the emotional and, and, and it's also a challenge overcoming that uh, bias towards it's learning is just cognitive and then there's an emotional icing you put on it. Right. That just makes the medicine go down a mm -hmm. little sweeter. Um, overcoming that it's sort of false analogy in our head is really important because our students feel that too. They think, that, oh, this is all the soft stuff. I'm turning, if I'm right. pre-med, I give me the hard stuff. Yeah, they start what checking the, their phone, like, right. okay, you're getting all... It's even the bias of like hard science versus, sure. oh, right. this but, is psych-social mm -hmm. stuff. Like, oh, I don't want to hear about Yerkstads and, and yeah. like anything else around this. But yeah, you go back to neurobiology as hardcore as it comes and you say, hey, you want to get something into long-term memory marked for retrieval later. That's gotta be marked by your hippocampus on the way in and what marks it? The amygdala kicking in the emotion. Yep. And if your amygdala is damaged, you can't make new strong memories. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm impostering that, but yes, this is, this is, you had me at amygdala. I, I mean, you, you hit both the amygdala and the hippocampus. Uh -huh. I'm just waiting for you to hit the, the thalamus uh, or I, I don't know, I'm running out of brain regions, uh, but it's good stuff. There's a brain region called the lizard. Oh, yeah. Right, right, well, I right. also, interestingly, uh, and uh, we need to be conscious of time because we could clearly keep going uh, as long as we like, maybe just keep doing it. But um, recently, I, I was watching uh, Vox uh, has released uh, on Netflix, The Mind Explained. Oh, it's really good. Like a handful of 20, 30 minute uh, videos. Uh, mm -hmm. We were talking about it as good edutainment, an example of it. Mm -hmm. But when they were talking about mindfulness, they did talk about in, in Zen Buddhism, uh, there's a lot of talk of the monkey brain mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the actual regions of your brain that, you know, just perseverate on these low value questions. Like, right. can I do it? Can mm -hmm. I do it? Um, within Zen Buddhism, they do talk about that. That's the monkey brain mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and their actual brain regions that are activated when you're in that mode. Mm -hmm. And I still feel like we're at the 
despite the thousands of years of medical research, we're just scratching. We're really just scratching the surface. Yeah, sadly, we're human (laughs) 1.0. I'd much rather be living my life as a human 3.0 or 4.0 without that lizard brain. Yeah, you know, unfortunately. But but but, but I guess like to, to sort of bring it full circle, like, in some ways you have to embrace the lizard brain as part of your authentic human experience. And then to perform at an optimal level, Mm -hmm. you need to understand, I will feel that anxiety. I mean, you mentioned Yorks Dodson, which, uh, you know, you had me, you had me at amygdala and then you threw in a little Yorks Dodson, but like that's showing that there is sort of that sweet spot of if you're not feeling any sense of fight or flight, right. You're you're probably not going to perform optimally, so then there's a level of uh, of psychological arousal that mm-hmm. is optimal for peak performance, but then if it goes too far, mm-hmm. you can panic and choke. Right, mm-hmm. and this is this is the kind of thing where I mentally, when I've been dealing with this since high school, mm-hmm. uh, when I first started to sing, and then I was in acapella groups. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know, do you do any Whitney Houston? Uh, Well, I, I, no. Okay. Um, And uh, growth mindset though, like you, yet, yet, one one day. day. Yeah. Yeah. I will always love you. (laughs) It's true. Um, So the children, the children are our future. The children are our future. And so like the first time on stage, I was so terrified and I just thought of myself literally diving into the crowd like mm-hmm. and this brings us back to the idea of the you're not alone in this mm-hmm. like there's some kind of other mm-hmm. some kind of if i stay in the cave with my ego mm-hmm. and it's all about me and i'm just reflecting my shame and my anxiety back on myself and it's never i never get out of there then it's just going to amplify and overwhelm me mm-hmm. but but somehow getting outside and feeling like there's a bigger purpose here that yes uh somehow providing some some entertainment or mm-hmm. something like that and just literally giving myself to the audience mm-hmm. has always been the thing that has empowered me as a teacher as an introverted teacher sure um, to uh, get past myself yep. in those mm-hmm. moments mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that I've as educators uh, look for way I, I don't know but I, I in trying to create an environment where everyone feels welcome mm-hmm. and everyone feels empowered, um, people also need to be able to to sit with the discomfort and take risks mm-hmm. and stretch themselves. That is what mm-hmm. growth mindset is about. Yeah, mm-hmm. and creating that environment. I mean, psychological safety is the, right. the big term. Yeah. yeah. Although I, you know, one I, I've started to I've started to recognize a, a power in reframing safe space mm-hmm. to brave space, mm. where the you got a double mm on that. Mm, that was I, know, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, and yeah. and I and I don't. I'm not taking credit for it's the concept good. of brave yeah. space. Um, but it's one that acknowledges that there is risk mm-hmm. involved. Yes. Uh, that you do have to put yourself out there mm. uh, in order to grow. Yes. Um, and that and brave space without obviously direct, uh, you know, without obviously uh, referring to this, I think also speaks to the ethics of the community in which the individual is a part. And what is the ethics of a learning community to itself and to the individual members that, that comprise that mm-hmm. community? Um, because 
everyone who's engaged in learning is taking risks. Yes. So how can we be better with each other and for each other mm -hmm. in the context of risk taking that is somewhat calculated? I mean, yeah. we, we, we always want to try to be mindful of what risks we're taking and, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, and what is that sweet spot where we feel somewhat challenged, but not completely right. overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, but how can we as a community of learners move beyond our ego, as you've been talking about, Chris, and really embrace that learning is a relational experience. It's mm. a communal experience, mm -hmm. or certainly in its, in its sort of ideal or optimal sure. expression, it's, it's relational and it's communal. Mm -hmm. um, but coming along with that then is this, you know, is, how are we how are we engaging with each other in that learning community mm -hmm. and then that's you know that can touch on classroom dynamics and and how does the teacher frame uh the you know the, the how can a teacher how does the teacher frame being wrong you yes. know or or uh you know how does a teacher invite students to ask questions right you know when i was a teacher one of the most transformational uh, things that I learned in my own teacher training was the power of reframing the the question to a classroom uh, of uh, who has any questions to what questions do you have yep. mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh, that that expectation that there are questions yeah without right. judgment yeah. right I also um, something I learned early on was this simultaneous low stakes response which now you can do technologically but the way I still like to do it is just okay, everybody show me a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Mm -hmm. You can keep it close to your body so no one else sees it, but how are you feeling right yeah. now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and just everybody can give me, and even no response is a response, but right. just seeing that, okay, I'm going to get, rather than putting people on the spot constantly, or another technique I, I mm -hmm. used is rolling dice to pick students until mm -hmm. it becomes very public that it's at random yep uh and evenly spaced among all the students someone that, that it's it's not rolling dice in like uh mike you're seven right and, you know, <laughs> sure and your snake eyes Jeff. um it's not that it's setting it up in such a way that everybody has an equal shot and sure so and that i first started doing on hearing about uh countering the bias yes of say as a science teacher i'm sure. gonna let boys speak longer right no i mean uh so much to talk about even uh like it does sound like we could talk at length about almost creating a community of practice around teaching mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. something i've talked a lot about uh aspirationally for a show like trending in education like if mm -hmm. we could find mm -hmm. teachers in diverse experiences uh talking about how they cultivate learning communities mm -hmm. and how they share practices and tips um, I think there's a wealth of information that, again, we're just kind of scratching the surface of. Be conscious of time, although I'd love to have both of you back. So thank you both for breaking the seal thank you. and, oh, thank and you. joining us here. Typically, we like to ask uh, our guests, um, where do they, what's, what's capturing your imagination around the future of learning? Are there any trends that you're noticing? Uh, to get titular about it, it is uh, trending in education. <laughs> Um, what trends are capturing your imagination? Do you have any thoughts that you'd like to share uh, in addition to growth mindset? Um, what's emerging? What's new? And uh, open it up to either of you. Also feel free to say, safe place, no ideas, let's move on. <laughs> but let's make it a brief. 
Yeah, yeah brave place exactly. Brave place. Yeah, I, but any thoughts? Yeah, I th well, I think coming out of the conversations that I typically have in the context of the work that I do in Kaplan in support of institutional partnerships that are addressing historical exclusion of students from the STEM and health fields mm -hmm. through the operations of structural racism, classism, and sexism, that relationship between the social forces of inequity and uh, the concept of a student has of themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, and in particular, um, in particular, sort of helping those who are within educational systems operating uh, as uh, mentors, coaches, and teachers, or as, as, as advisors, how can folks in those roles bring concepts from critical social theory to mm -hmm. bear on the way that they advise or they coach mm -hmm. or they mentor students, mm -hmm. especially students who experience marginalization or minoritization. I mean, the, 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 the hard fact of the matter is that outside of an HBCU, every academic institution in this country is a white-serving institution, right. predominantly white-serving institution. Mm -hmm. And for students who are marginalized, in particular, uh, um, you know, because of race or ethnicity, the those social forces are so complex and they are and they are very forceful mm -hmm. um and i think that there's a very rich um a very rich opportunity to bring the insights from critical social theory like critical race theory and intersectionalism to bear on the uh, uh you know to bear on the relationship between an, a, a student and his or her advisee mm -hmm. or sorry his or her advisor or mm -hmm. mentor or coach yep. um and to begin to unpack the the the, the baggage or the trauma that yeah. marginalized students frequently will carry with them mm -hmm. through their educational experiences and what impact that has on them and their concept of themselves as learners. Wow, yeah, so uh, I've heard if you wanna write a book, uh, you wanna come up with ideas for a book, you should write a book. So if you wanna come up with ideas for a podcast, <laughs> you should ask uh, Jeff for, uh, for his thoughts because it sounds like you know, there, there's plenty to talk about in terms of what you're, what you just outlined there. So, so again, thanks, thanks for, thanks for that. And thanks for, yeah. uh, oh thanks for being God. on so, any, uh, yeah. any, are you ready to follow that? I, well, it's, I know, but <laughs> I will try because yeah. I'm going to grow, gonna dive into the, the discomfort. Um, actually very related to that uh, in a maybe semi-oblique sense. Um, the trend of rising data on students mm -hmm. that we can mm -hmm. gather more mm -hmm. and more and more students. So this is a question I'll pose that I've been wondering and in a way worried about. Um, how do we create brave, safe spaces for students when we're gathering more and more data on them? Yes. Particular mm -hmm. underserved. Mm -hmm. As we try to quote unquote diagnose so we can remediate an issue if we've got one, et cetera, et cetera. As it is, we test our students so much. I mean, we're, that's, we're in the business of helping students prepare for tests. And yet, you know, the Heisenberg principle and sort of its popular form of, you know, observing changes, what's observed. We have a, a challenge of if we put cameras on students, we put Fitbits on yep. them mm -hmm. to measure heart rate mm -hmm. and anxiety through pupil dilation and so forth. What is that gonna? What is that data gonna be like? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. how is it going to be used? And how can it be 
used in a trustworthy way? Mm -hmm. yep. And mm -hmm. how do we actually turn off the cameras and mm -hmm. the Fitbits and the whatever else? Mm -hmm. How can we do some, keep some non-observed spaces for students to grow and flop down and mm -hmm. fail and, sure. and, and get back up again? Yeah. No, I love that in the, the Heisenberg. Uh, you had me at Heisenberg too. So, uh, so anyway, uh, thanks, uh, thanks very much to both uh, Dr. Jeff Kochi and uh, Chris Ryan here uh, joining uh, Mike Palmer, Trending in Education. Wonderful conversation. I'd love to continue many of the topics we just raised. I think we're, we're just scratching the surface, but hopefully our listeners are ready to lean into some discomfort and continue to to listen and uh, and really engage in some of these really interesting ideas. So uh, for those of you uh, who are regular listeners, please continue to listen. And for those of you who are listening for a first time, uh, you know, thank you and uh, please come back again soon. So this is Trending in Education and we'll be back uh, next time.